0: This is episode number 321 with Glennon Doyle. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Lennon is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Untamed, a Reese's book club selection, and Love Warrior, an Oprah's book club selection, as well as the New York Times bestseller, of Carry On Warrior. She is also an activist and a thought leader, the founder and president of Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization that has revolutionized grassroots philanthropy, raising over $25 million for women, families, and children in crisis. She lives in Florida with her wife, Abby, and three children. This episode is so good. I loved this conversation so much and I'm so excited to share it with you. We dive deep. Glennon is such a goddess and I'm so excited for you to hear it. In today's episode, we chat about what it means to be untamed, why and how she stopped people pleasing and how you can too. Why you can want and have it all, even if the patriarchy and society tell you otherwise. Why we all need to be more full of ourselves and how to do that. The secrets to life. The purpose behind hard times and how to move through them. How to stop comparing yourself to everyone else on social media and how to effectively use social media. We also talk about Glennon's juicy tips for writing, which is so great for anyone out there who wants to write a book or wants to be a writer. Her tips are incredible. And we also get an insight into her creative process. We also chat about step-parenting because her wife, Abby, is a stepmama, like myself. So you guys are going to love her take on parenting and step-parenting. Plus, so much more. Guys, we dive deep. She is an incredible storyteller. I'm so excited for you to dive in. For everything that Glennon and I mentioned today, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 321. And before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Brie, and it's a five-star review, and it's titled, I Highly Recommend. I'm obsessed with Melissa's show and the amazing, inspirational guests she interviews every week. I get so excited for new episodes each week. It is such a highlight of my week. I honestly could not recommend Melissa's show enough. It is real, honest, educational, and full of so much love. Thank you for the work that you do. You are so inspirational, and I just want to share you with everyone I know. Please listen, follow, and add some Melissa into your life. I promise you won't regret it. Brie, thank you so much for that beautiful review. I am so grateful. And I wanna gift anyone who leaves a review my Wildly Wealthy Guided Meditation. So all you have to do is send a screenshot of your review to hello at and I'll send you over that review. And if you wanna get your hands on my Bursting With Love Guided Meditation, all you have to do is leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Goal or Open Wide or both. And again, send me a screenshot reviews really help. So thank you to everyone who has already left me a review. I'm so grateful. And now, without further ado, let's bring on this goddess, Glennon Doyle. Lennon Doyle, I am so excited to have you here. You have been on my dream guest list for so long,
1: so I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. Here we are. We did it. Now, before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Okay, so I don't eat breakfast. I'm a major morning person, but all I do is just drink insane amounts of coffee. Just it's not not okay. I would be embarrassed to tell you how much. And then around 1130 ish, Abby makes us smoothies. So we drink smoothies. So I guess that's breakfast, but it's also kind of lunch. So I don't know what the heck is in it, like peanut butter and bananas and chia seeds, something about chia seeds. I don't know. She's very healthy. So I just drink it. I just drink what she gives me.
0: Yeah. Good. That is amazing. Oh, sounds
1: delicious. Sounds delicious. I definitely have like an oral fix. I just have to be drinking all day. This is left over from maybe my drinking alcohol days. <laughs> I drink coffee all morning. Then I drink smoothies. Then I sw- switch to tea. So I'm drinking tea now. I drink from the moment I wake up until I go to sleep. Love it.
0: Love it. Are you going to the bathroom a lot? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. That is true.
0: Oh, Glennon, I'm so excited to have you here. You are such a light. You are such a trailblazer. I've recently finished Untamed, so thank you for writing that book. And I actually got it on audio. I love holding books and I usually read books, but for some reason I was drawn to the audio and I'm so glad I got the audio because you read it, obviously, and you are such a brilliant storyteller. I loved the book. You're such a brilliant writer and I'm a writer myself and I really admire your work and the way that you kind of weave wisdom and personal anecdotes and humor so effortlessly And one of the biggest stories that I just love so much is the story about the captive cheetah that you saw at the zoo. Can you tell us that story and talk to us about, you know, what that kind of uncovered
1: for you? Yeah. Well, as you know, as a writer, what writers are always doing is noticing, noticing you know, feelings or ideas that we have inside of us. And then our job is usually to find something outside of ourselves, which we can use as a metaphor <laughs> to describe the thing that's inside of us, right? So I had been for a very long time trying to figure out how to describe this feeling that I had inside of me that was a longing, that was feeling like I didn't that my whole life was supposed to be more beautiful than it was, feeling a little bit caged. I was in a, a broken marriage to a good man. And that is a hard place to be because we're supposed to be grateful for what we have and yada, yada. It just really, while I was kind of trying to make it all work and be grateful, I was just kind of pissed off all the time, <laughs> just <laughs> Const- constantly. What was Just a low level river of rage always, which was lovely for everyone. And I just had this aching, just this longing for a truer, more beautiful love, you know? But it was just all this aching and feeling inside. How long were you guys together, you and your husband? 13 years. And three kids? Three kids. And after a decade of marriage, yeah. So Craig told me that he was had been cheating on me my whole marriage. So- you know, in the aftermath was just a lot of pain and work and recovery and trying to forgive. And I was just waiting for forgiveness to just, like, fall from the sky onto me. Like, I, I just – everyone was doing all the things. Like, yeah, we were doing the things, Melissa. Like, I was doing all the things. All the things. Therapy, self-exploration, date nights, practice all the things, the books, the whatever. And you know, we there were moments where we were like, "Yeah, this is it. We're doing it." We're but couldn't get rid of the longing and the river of rage, right? Which would flare back up whenever intimacy came in any way. It would just. Whoosh. So later, I'm just trying to find how am I going to describe this feeling that I know that women have. This. Feeling that we are sometimes trapped in relationships in institutions in communities in jobs in nations that were not made for us right that and then that the whole world's always gaslighting us so every time we say this isn't right, I feel angry I feel I just Then the world says, oh, she's crazy. She's emotional. She's just be grateful, whatever. Just the constant, you know, universal gaslighting of us. So, anyway, I'm watching, I take my kids to this safari park, and the kids want to go to this event of the day. It's called the Cheetah Run. So, I'm like, okay, we pay our $7. We line up with all the sweaty families to watch this cheetah run. I'm just not into this sort of family (laughs) event. I must have been having a lot of mom guilt to even take my children to the safari park, but I'm glad I did because, so we're watching, we're waiting for the cheetah to show up, right? And the zookeeper walks out and she's holding the leash of a black Labrador retriever. So my first thought is, okay, I am not a zoologist, but if that woman tries to tell my kids that that lab is a cheetah, I am getting my freaking $7 back. Okay. It's enough. But she starts talking and she says, everybody, do you think this is Tabitha the cheetah? And they all say, no. And she says, you're right. This is Minnie, a lab. This is Tabitha's best friend. And we raised Tabitha the cheetah alongside the Min- Minnie the lab so that Minnie would tame Tabitha. And now everything that Minnie wants to do, Tabitha wants to do. So now you're going to watch Minnie do this cheetah run and Tabitha's right there in the cage watching. So she's going to watch Minnie do the cheetah run, and then she's going to come out and do the run. So Minnie, the lab, lines up on the starting line, and there's this, like, Jeep thing that has this dirty pink bunny tied to the Jeep. So this, the, the little horn blows, and the Jeep takes off, and Minnie, the lab, chases this dirty pink bunny to the other side. yay, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay. Yeah. Okay. So then the zookeeper opens up the cage and Tabitha walks out. And Tabitha is this just scary looking, like gorgeous, majestic, wild, beautiful animal. And she's just like stalking to the, the starting line and her muscles are rippling beneath her fur. And she lines up and the freaking jeep takes off. And this gorgeous, wild animal chases this dirty pink bunny down the path, crosses the finish line. Kids are, are Yay! the zookeeper throws her a, dirt, a stake and she flops down in the dirt. And th- while the kids are cheering, I'm just, I just have this epiphany. I'm like, I just start to feel a little nauseous because I'm looking at this animal and I'm thinking that is it. If a animal as majestic and powerful and wild as a cheetah can be tamed into forgetting who she is and chasing somebody else's dirty pink bunnies all day, then certainly so can a woman, right? And that that's when, you know, all the ideas and Untamed, I mean, I've been trying to put language around all that since I was 10 years old, right? This is the book that I was made to write as a person who's gotten sick from cultural ideas of womanhood my entire life. But when I saw that, I was just like, that's it. It's Tabitha, right? It's Tabitha. She's born into captivity. She's not supposed to know any different. So are we. We're not supposed to know any different. And yet we still have that knowing inside of us that actually it was all supposed to be more beautiful than this.
0: Full goosebumps. Full goosebumps. It is such a beautiful visualization and metaphor for life because it's like we are being squashed into these little cages and boxes and told how to speak and how to walk and how to look and how to do everything. But within us all is this beautiful, wild, majestic, untamed goddess. But we've fully forgotten. So if someone listening to this is like, that's me. That, that is me. I have fully forgotten. And I feel like everyone has. Everyone has two degrees. What can we do about
1: it? Where do we start? Well, I actually think that's kind of an easy question to answer now, which thank God, because it took me 40 years to figure out the answer to that question. <laughs> But I think some of it was sparked when I met Abby because I've always known, like I think that's why I became a uh, bulimic when I was 10 years old. I've su- I struggled with addiction my entire life. A lot of that is chemical. You know, I know now that I have clinical depression and anxiety and that I was using the food and the booze as self-medicating those things. But also beyond the science of that, of mental illness, which is real and I believe in, I also feel like I just knew something was wrong. <laughs> I just knew from the time I was 10 years old, like something, I don't fit here. Like none of this, like I just, I have big feelings and big pain and big rage and big questions and big, and I'm supposed to be small and pretty and, the, I, and like, I can't, I just can't do it. I don't fit here. Right. And and actually a lot of people who fall into addiction, and mental illness early will tell or will tell similar stories about when they were little, just knowing they didn't fit here. But anyway, when I so so in other words, I've been I've been stalking the periphery, like that the scene in in the opening of Untamed, like I have been stalking the periphery of all of these cages: gender, sexuality, religion, politics, all of it. Going, I don't think this is made for me. <laughs> have better ideas than this, right? I don't think I was made to live inside this cage, but when I met Abby, it took me, I've been straight my whole life, okay, I've only dated boys, I've married a boy, I never considered anything else, right? I just, this is like, what was put in front of me is what you're supposed to do, like anything shoulds and supposed to, and that is what I did, all the things, do the thing, Tick, 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 tick. Boy, three children, Christian, all the things. And when I met Abby and fell madly in love with her, it was the first time I had wanted anything beyond what I had been conditioned to want, right? And it was the first time I had loved anyone other than the people I had been trained to love, right? And so, and I felt more, oh my God, I felt comfortable in my own life and in my own skin for the first time in my entire life. Was it a confusing
0: feeling, or was it, yeah, a coming home feeling? Like, were you like, "What is going on?" I have
1: this feeling within me, or was it like, "Ah, oh, this is home." Both. It was like, it was like, oh, this is home, and this home is batshit crazy. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right? Because I had never, I had no context for it. I had never kissed a girl. I, I had this family. I had this husband, and it wasn't a perfect marriage, but it was a family and I had this career based on my family. Like I just, I understood deep in my bones that I was going to have to give up at risk, every single thing for this thing. Right? Like that's what the universe does to you. Right? It's like, how bad do you want yourself? Do you want yourself bad enough to let everything else burn? Like, Oh, but it really did Melissa feel like how bad do you want yourself? It didn't feel like how bad do you want Abby? It felt like, will you, you have met yourself now. Like you have the the girl who was was you before the world told you who to be has risen up and said there she is. That's it. Will you abandon yourself again, right? Or will you abandon everyone else's expectations of you? That was the question. So it felt life or death to me. It felt like okay, I'm a 40 whatever I was, 42-year-old woman and will I live or will I not? Right? Will I rock the boat and make everyone uncomfortable or will I just Ignore this so that I don't rock the boat. So that was this is a really roundabout way to answer your question, which is for me, it took allowing something to rise up inside of me that made no sense to the way that I was raised and conditioned, and to the things that I'm supposed to want, and to the things that the world tells me to want, right? So for example, when when a woman says to me, "I, I have lost myself, and women say that in a million different ways, sometimes The first brave part of that is when a woman will honor and admit her discontent, okay? Because we're not supposed to be discontent as women, right? That's part of our taming. We're supposed to just be grateful for what we have and shut up and just blah, blah, blah. blah. So the second you say, I want more in this relationship or I want more in in my career or I want more. I mean, I have a necklace that I wear that just says more on it because I feel like it's the most countercultural thing a woman can just say, yes, I do want more. I want more money. I want more power. I want more love. I want more, I want more, 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 more. I want more. That's like the number, that's the original, the 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 cardinal sin of women, right? The stories we hear in religion, like Eve wanted more and then the whole world went to shit. Like it's just constantly pumped into us that you should not want more. And of course, that's the best way that, started, that power can keep its power, right? It's just keep every marginalized group from wanting more, from asking more. So the first step, I think, is admitting that you can imagine more, right? And then considering that the fact that you can imagine more might not mean that you're not grateful. It might just mean that you were meant for more, right? Just the sheer fact that you can imagine more means it's possible, means that it's possible and and, and that it's inside of you, that it's a vision inside of you, right, waiting to be born. So the first step is honoring your discontent as a guide and a roadmap and not a shame, Right. And then my favorite thing to do with women is when they say, okay, let's take for example, I just, I feel like my relationship is supposed to be more beautiful than this. Right. I just feel like I can imagine more for my relationship. And by the way, most of the women who tell me that they can imagine more for their relationships aren't telling me that they want to like leave their husband and marry a female Olympian. Right. Although I highly recommend, (laughs) but most of them want a new relationship with the same person.
0: Yes. Like an upgraded
1: version. Just like just like a deeper, truer they want to be we want to be seen and loved. Like is this what we all want? We want to be seen and loved and cherished and all of it. So most people when they tell you that I want more, they will also tell you all the reasons they can't tell their partner that they want more. Right. Well, I can't say this because the I can't do this. A good mother wouldn't, because she shouldn't like all the shoulds and the can'ts and the well. So the best thing that I have learned to do with women is to get them out of their indoctrination. Whenever you're using the language of can't and all of the excuses that you make for sharing your vision of more, that means you're in your indoctrination. Okay, you're lost in your mind. So the so the key is to bridge women from their indoctrination to back to their imagination. Because the fact that you can imagine more is good news. It means your imagination has not given up on you, right? It means you're still alive in there. So the way that we can shut down our indoctrination and get to our imagination is this is a simple question. I always say, okay, okay. I know you can't do it. I know it's impossible. I know yada, yada, yada. But can you tell me a story about the truest, most beautiful marriage that you can imagine, okay? Can you tell me a story about the truest, the most beautiful relationship you can imagine. Every time I ask someone that question, well, okay, 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 what is the truest, most beautiful career you can imagine? What is the truest, most beautiful community you can imagine? What is the truest, most beautiful parent and child relationship you can imagine? Something happens, which is the mind, the, the crazy excuse maker mind shuts down and the imagination rises up and tells a story. Because the amazing thing is that everybody knows what the truest, most beautiful relationship they can imagine is. And it's different for everybody, right? Which is proof that we were not supposed to live cookie cutter lives, that there is no perfect relationship. There is no perfect job. There, there is just what was born inside of us, right? That we were meant to bring forth. So when you when you ask somebody that, you can see it in their body, just like, <sighs> and they just start talking, right? And then we have been tamed to believe that those are pipe dreams. Unrealistic. Unrealistic.
0: Doesn't happen for everyone, only
1: some people. Right. Which is horseshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just, it's just horseshit. It's just like, if we, especially women, especially any marginalized group, if we do not start living from the inside out. In other words, if we just look at status quo for what we're allowed to have, nothing will ever change, right? We have to start inside here and not out there. All power wants us to just look out there and be like, that's what I can have. That's the kind of job I can have. That's what kind of relationship I can have. That's what kind of community I can have. And nothing ever changes. Exactly. I love that you say we need to be more full of ourselves. That's what you mean by that, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. And I, I I just, you know, the reason I wrote we need to be more full of ourselves is because this wild, ridiculous idea that the epitome of what a woman should try to be is selfless. Just that in itself proves what an incredibly patriarchal culture we live in, that, that, that we would be aiming to be without selves, <laughs> right? It's like, so amazing, right? That the epitome of womanhood is to just not exist. Yeah, just shrink. Shrink your body, shrink everything. Shrink your ambition, shrink your voice, shrink your dreams. Just, just be, get smaller and smaller so that you stop making the world uncomfortable. So yes, I think f- 100% the idea would be that the only way a woman would want to be selfless is if she doesn't trust herself, is if she thinks she's bad. Because if you believe that you are good and powerful and capable, then why wouldn't you want to be full of yourself? What the world needs, women, I mean, God, like the blueprints of the next world are inside the desires of women. What really needs to happen is that women need to return to themselves and trust themselves and unleash themselves. And we will see everything reordered.
0: Mm. Do you feel like with everything that's going on in the world right now, if more women just fully stepped into owning who they were, things would definitely shift?
1: Yes. When women are in charge, shit just goes better, <laughs> right? Like, yes. Yes, I want women in charge of everything. And by the way, let's just try it, okay? We've tried it the other way and it's not going great. It's not going great, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, there's... there's so- Patriarchy, misogyny is not gendered. Okay. There are plenty of women who are poisoned by patriarchy. There are plenty of men who are detoxing themselves with patriarchy. So this isn't just gendered. I know plenty of women who I feel like are more misogynistic than just a lot. You know, women can have misogyny, can unleash misogyny, can be part of patriarchal. But I would say that the, the way that women tend to lead based in listening, based in community building, based in facts, right? Based in, there's there's a certain kind of, I, I don't know if it's like a humble a, a kind of humility that our toxic masculinity models will not allow. And so there's so many men in power who have... It's not just because they're men, it's because they're men who have been trained by the ideals of toxic masculinity, which do not allow for collaboration, which do not allow for listening or for humility. And that's why we're in the mess we're in, right? It's because it's not because of just man and the way he's born. It's because of the way we've trained men to be in our cultures. But yeah, of course there should be more women leaders. Just the fact that, that the population is the way that it is the amount, the percentage of women we have leading is, is a, it's abominable. It's just proof of, of how patriarchal society is.
0: Yes. Yes. It'd be really interesting to just see the shift if, you know, yeah, we did kind of shift more into that feminine leadership. It'd be a beautiful thing to witness. And with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's definitely needed. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's not, it's, we have to, or the world will end. <laughs> How about that? Like, I mean, if we keep having leaders who are, let's say, ignoring global warming, I mean, to me, it's not just a matter of like, things will be nicer. It's like, I think we we either have to, we have to shift or the world will, will, will be in big trouble.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite sayings from you is we can do hard Things. So talk to us a little bit about that because I know a lot of women. I have one of my girlfriends who was in a marriage for 17 years and I met her once she had been divorced and she had two beautiful kids. And she said to me, you know, I knew the marriage wasn't right. And I said, well, when did you realize that? And she said, 17 years ago. And I was like, so the entire time she knew it wasn't her truth and she was so afraid so petrified to take that leap we were saying before like she was so petrified to she could imagine this other life for herself but there was so much fear and I love that you say
1: we can do hard things I have to tell you the origin of that though because well okay so I got sober after 15 years of addiction I got sober 17 years ago now no 18 years ago now Well done. Yeah, thank you. I have to, I I could only calculate it by how old my son is because I got sober the day I found out I was pregnant with him. Now he's freaking 17 years old and somehow going to college next year, even though he was born like two weeks ago. So I'm not sure how that happened. I used to get so mad, Melissa, when... People would tell me, "Oh, it goes by so fast." Because when they're young, it's nothing goes by fast, and every day is a decade, right? And then suddenly, it's like they turn ten or eleven. It's like parenting is like the that that kind of roller coaster where it's like like so slow in the beginning, and then the second half is just it's going by so fast, I can't believe it. Anyway, back to your question. So I I find out that I'm pregnant, and I'm. Completely hungover, and then sitting on a bathroom floor holding a positive pregnancy test. And some ridiculous, like grandiose part of me just decides, Yes, I'm going to have this baby. Okay. There could have been no worse candidate for motherhood <laughs> on the planet. Like I had no business. I was so sick and so addicted. And so, was he your first? Well, I had abortion before him, but he was my first. Yeah. So I've never said that on a podcast before, but there you go, New Zealand. So I, I don't know. I just, there's something about that moment in my life when I was so sick that I just thought this could be my last chance to come back to life. I just actually had that knowing. And so my sister took me to my first, she, my sister picked me up off the floor. I called her. She picked me up off the floor, took me to my first recovery meeting and I went every day to recovery meetings after that and then on like the 5th day i was at my recovery meeting and i finally spoke okay cuz these people were being so brave and honest and i finally just found the courage to say words and i was i stood up and i said i'm scared because i thought that drinking was my problem and so if i quit drinking that i would feel normal and okay but actually i feel worse than i've ever felt now so i'm afraid that drinking wasn't my problem, that I am just my problem, that like everyone else has this secret to life that I don't have because life feels so much harder for me than it looks like it is for everyone else. And then I sat back down and this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, okay, honey, I have to tell you something that someone told me in early recovery. And she said, if there's any secret to life, it's that it's not hard because you're doing it wrong. It's hard because you're finally doing it right. She said, you're just becoming human. You're becoming fully human and you're finally feeling everything. And feeling everything is really, really hard. And that's why so few people do it. But the truth is, the secret is that being human isn't about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. Yes, the full spectrum. And I was like, I know that sounds obvious to you, Melissa, but I was like, what? <laughs> Feelings are for feeling. Like I thought, I thought I was supposed to feel happy and grateful, and like I thought happiness was for feeling, and anger and and envy and the, all those things were to be ashamed of, like to be gotten rid of, to to pretend they don't exist, to not have them, to numb them. That's what all the food and booze was about, right? So this idea that, oh, wait, it's okay to feel all of it, like, this was earth-shattering to me. Okay. So that's the day I decided, okay, then I'm just going to practice feeling everything. I'm just going to allow myself to feel everything, which was scary to me because I had such – I had a, this feeling that if I allowed myself to feel all my feelings, I would die. I don't know how to other how else to describe it. I felt like I had such a depth or capacity for pain and anger that was – too much. And that like, it was like a black hole. And if I allowed myself to sink into it, it would somehow kill me. This is what I was convinced of. So while I was getting sober, I was teaching. I was a third grade teacher. And I know this probably sounds scary to everyone that I was <laughs> actually teaching then, but I was a really good teacher. It was like the one thing, it's it's the one, it's something in my life that I'm the most proud of. I really think I always think maybe I'm just still on a hiatus from teaching because I love teaching so much. And every day it would hit about noon, and I would start to feel everything. And it, early sobriety is so hard. So I would take my children, my my class, the long way to lunch every day, so I could pass my my friend Jody's second grade classroom because Jody had this huge sign above her window that said, "We can do hard things." And it was her message to her second graders. Like when her second graders would, you know, try a new math problem or like try cursive and they'd say, this is too hard. And like, you know, that feeling when something's hard and you just, you think that means it's not for you, right? When something, when something starts to feel hard, you think, oh, this means that I'm not supposed to do this. This means that this is for somebody else. This means I should quit, right? And I understood that concept as a teacher like I knew when my kids hit that part when it's hard that that was the magic place, right? That, yeah, it's hard. Keep going. Keep going, right? And so that's what I had to remind myself. Like this sobriety thing, this being human things, this is all so hard and, and that's okay. That doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. That doesn't mean I should quit. That doesn't mean I should give up. And there was something about the we, like every time, because this has become a mantra for, this is really all people say to me now. We can do hard things, that's all they say to me now. (laughs) But sometimes people say, I can do hard things, they switch it to I, and I'm like, Oh no, I didn't say that. (laughs) Right? Like, there's something about the we, the collective, yes. And it's not even like my wife is a big team person, she's a retired Olympic athlete, so everything's about team for her. And I am a lone wolf, I'm an individual, like reaching introverts. So for me, it's not always about having a team around me doing the hard thing, but I have to know on some level that I'm doing this hard thing, but so is everybody else. That's what comforts me, right? Like that's the paradox. That's the thing about being human. It's like we can only do it alone, right? That's so scary and sad and it still freaks me out when I say that. Like what? Like we can only grieve alone. We can only love alone. We're like we feel alone parent alone. Oh god, it's so scary. Motherhood, like raise your children alone. Mother alone. I mean all of it we lose people alone like but we're alone together. Because every other wholehearted, open-minded, open-hearted, brave, vulnerable human being is is do- loving and losing and doing the exact same hard things while we are doing ours. Yes, yes.
0: Oh, this is so good. This is so good. I'll make note if I ever do see you driving down the street or anything and I'm in your area, I will yell that out the car window. It's so powerful, this we concept, because I know for me as well, I felt like I had to have this quote unquote perfect life and like the same thing, only experience happiness. And if there was anything else, it's like something was wrong with me. I was broken. I felt like something's wrong with me. What have I done wrong? Where have I gone wrong? And you're right. It's that realization that All of these feelings, all of these emotions are here to be felt. And when we embrace them fully and let them wash over us like a wave, it's just part of being in this earth suit. You know, it's part of being here on earth and being human in this time. And I wanted to touch on, you know, we look at social media as this highlight reel now. And, you know, I think about our children, they're getting phones from the age of around 10 They're jumping on social media at around 13 years old now. They are exposed to this social comparison from a very young age, this unrealistic social comparison of comparing themselves to people's highlight reels. What is your advice for a woman who may be in that space right now or even children that are listening? How can we
1: move forward without falling into that comparison trap? Well, I think a lot about intention, right? I mean, I do think it's interesting. If you don't want your children to use social media in a way that is about comparison, in a way that they're looking at other people's feeds and they're getting ideas about what it means to be human that are, you know, really just bragging or like just showing one side or whatever, if you don't want your children to consume social media that way, And I think it really becomes important to have conversations with your children about how they're using it themselves, right? So for example, when we decided to let Chase have Instagram, we talked a lot about, okay, what are you going to use it for? Like, what is it for, for you? Like, what is your intention with social media? We don't talk about intention enough. We just hand our kids phones because we say, everybody else has them. Here, good luck. That's a shitty thing to do as parents since we can't even handle it, right? We... (laughs) social media makes us feel like crap. We get addicted. We don't know what we're doing, but then we hand our children and we're like, good luck. Okay. And then we, uh, and then we just yell at them for being addicted and compare it. It's so ridiculous. So I just think that, you know, having real conversations, like when we, when Chase decided, I don't know, I think he was like 13 or 14 and he decided, okay, I love taking pictures. Like picture, he's, he's really into photography now. So I'm going to use social media as a place to show my pictures, to like take pictures and show them. And like, I'm going to learn other, you know, photography sites and I'm going to talk to people. And that worked really well for two years because he had an intention going into what am I using this for? right? We talk to our kids all the time about, you know, so-and-so just posted that they made the soccer team that I'm trying out for. And that was made to me, it was what made me feel jealous and tears for hours in our house, you know? So how did that person use social media? Because there's intention. I know when I'm about to post a picture, I know, am I posting this to serve? Am I posting this to make a woman feel stronger and good about herself or in her home? Or am I posting this to make this woman feel jealous of me? There's always an intention. And like as a person who has studied social media, who has built her life on social media, I can tell every single time what somebody's intention is. Every time. And if it makes me feel bad, it's because the intention behind the thing was not pure. Every time. We can trust ourselves with that. By the way, we should stop trust following any person on social media who makes us feel like crap for any way, for any reason. And we should just stop it. Stop the insanity. Like, the good thing about being a grown up is you get to, you're a grown ass woman and you get to make your own decisions. You don't have to explain to yourself or anyone else why you are unfollowing someone. Go to your feed right now and delete every single feed that does not make you feel stronger and better and more happy in your own life and in your own skin. That's life changing. We are what we consume. We are what we consume. And if we cannot, we have to carefully curate what we consume on all social media, and it will change the way we feel during the day, right? So I just think that it's too important. I don't think we have to have all the answers before we talk to our kids about this stuff, but I think that since it's such an important part of their lives, that it would be a real shame if we didn't have constant conversations about how, so how we are using social media, about who we're following, about how it's making us better and worse, about all the good. I mean, I'm a person who has raised $27 million for marginalized children and, and women all over the world on social media. So social media is just a reflection of who we are, good or bad, right? We can make social media beautiful. We can create social media accounts and feeds that change us for the better, that heal the world, but that's up to us and we have to be grown up enough to curate them in ways that serve us and in the world and not just swallow crap all the time.
0: Exactly. And that's a good barometer, what you said before about the intention. Like if you feel crap about yourself or if it makes you feel anything, then it's usually a reflection of the intention behind that posting. So that's a really good barometer. And I always say the same thing. It's like remove anything, you know, like don't send an abusive, I'm unfollowing you or whatever. Just get rid of it. Because some people do that. They do it. They're like, and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, like just gracefully unfollow and just get back on with your
1: life. I see it all the time about, about feeds, about people. Bless and release. Bless and release. Do everyone a favor. There's how many people in the world? I don't know. I'm not a, a social scientist. What, billions? Like Let go of the ones who drive you crazy, right? And yes, and no need to tell them. No need. Just go. Exactly.
0: I love that. Glennon's given you permission, guys. Glennon has given you permission.
1: <laughs> yes. In our family, we call it cat. Cut all ties. Cat. Bye-bye.
0: Oh, I love it. Yes, I love that. Life's too precious and sacred to fill it with anything other than what lights you up and what makes you feel good. And if you are feeling down about yourself from a particular account, just get rid of it. So yeah, I love, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. Now I'm writing two books this year, which is really, really crazy. I know. What? Tell me more. How are you writing two books? Writing one book is impossible. I know. Well, one is an Audible original, which I have now finished. I finished. Is there any better feeling in the whole world? Oh my gosh. It is so good. So that's coming out in September and I wrote that and now I'm just doing some final edits, but that's good. And then my other print book is out May next year, which is all about comparison. So that's why I wanted to ask that question to you. And then the Audible original book is all about purpose and things like that. So I'm really excited to birth both of these into the world. And I'm deep in the creative process right now. Now you've had three best best-selling books. What have you learned about the creative process and what tips do you have for people struggling to find the time or the discipline to pursue their creative
1: work? Okay. Well, the tragic, tragic thing about writing is that the only way to be a writer is to write. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, I have not found any
0: other way. It's to just sit down and write.
1: I know. If I could find another way, I will tell you because it is so hard. And but there is no other way. So the thing is that like being a writer or the creative, they're all like such big concepts. But what it comes down to is do you do you put your butt in the chair for an hour a day and not get up? Or whatever you decide that works for you, two hours, three hours. When I am deep in the creative process of like writing a book, I have to write in the morning. I don't know anything after 11 a.m. I don't know things. I, I can do like, I can do a podcast. I can do, I don't know, but I can't have original It just doesn't work. And I, and I have some dear friends who are the opposite. They have to be at night. So you find your, your time that works for you. And then you promise yourself that you will honor yourself and your dream and your potential, right? By not betraying yourself, right? It really comes down to that. It's like, it reminds me a little bit about deciding whether or not I was going to stay in my broken marriage or go with Abby. Like, there are a few things I know about myself. One of them is that I am a writer. I am also, I am a writer, but I am also an extremely distracted, dramatic Person, so I will find a way not to write, <laughs> okay? But that is betraying myself. So, what I would say is, if you know you're a writer, and and the, one of the ways you can know you're a writer is if you're always wondering if you're a writer, okay? So, people, like I always say, people who don't have drinking problems don't wonder all day if they have a drinking problem. <laughs> and people who are not writers don't wonder all day if they are. So, if you spend a lot of time thinking I am, or if am I, or then you probably are. And I think that, you know, I don't think it has to do with the project or the book or the whatever, because a lot of truly, I will say this, truly some of the best writers I know in the entire world have never gotten published. And there are writers who get published who are not great. (laughs) Okay. So it's not necessarily about that. It's about not betraying yourself. It's about knowing something about yourself and showing up for yourself each day. And then whatever comes of it, comes of it. But you walk away each day knowing that day you honored yourself, you honored your gift, you honored your purpose, and you live differently when you do that. I'm the same
0: as you. I sit down at the same time every day and I do not get up for two and a half hours. I only allow myself to get up to go pee and to fill up my water and that is it. I just sit and then I literally feel like, okay, I have showed up today. But if there is any days where I'm like, I don't for some reason, there's this like, oh, this eats away at me. It's like this gremlin inside that's just like, argh, like bursting to just get out. And so I love that. And it really is, you know, whether it's learning the piano or it's whatever your creative pursuit is, painting, sculpting, whatever it is, like it's really about committing and sitting down and doing the work every single day. That's, that's how you get books done. That's how you get things
1: done and out into the world. Yeah, tragically. Tragically, that is correct. It's the only way. I will tell you the everyday thing doesn't work for me either. I have to be, I have to honor myself several days a week and not honor myself other days a week. I the only way I can be disciplined enough, I'm usually like a weekdays and then weekends off. I just have to have days where I don't have to do any, where I just can be not creative,
0: you know? Yeah, yes. Weekends. Oh, it's so good. Like, and even for me, like, I try not to even touch my computer or my phone on a Sunday. I don't open social media on a Sunday. I like force myself to just do not touch my phone or my computer on a Sunday. And it really does fill me up. I then go into the week full and not exhausted and I feel refreshed. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. I have to have weekends off as well. And that,
1: Really does fill me back up. Yeah. It's a crucial part of the creative process is the rest. It's not just a rest. It's like, if you don't do that, the, whatever you create next won't be right. It's, it's, act, it's just as important as the showing up is the not showing up.
0: Yes, absolutely. And how do you go with like children and things like that? Do you just say, okay, I'm writing now so you like no one interrupt me? Like, how do you
1: navigate that? Well, when my kids were really little, I was, it was just so early. Right, I used to get up at 4 a.m. and write, bless my little heart. That was so hard. That's how desperate I was <laughs> to say anything. I have a coherent thought. But now, I mean, my kids are, how old are they? I don't know. They're teenagers, 17, 13. No, they're old enough to make their own freaking sandwiches. They can do whatever they need to do while I'm doing what I need to do. And my whole family knows. Like that's, this is the time that keeps mommy a good mommy. Because <laughs> if we leave her alone in there, <laughs> For a few hours. I am. I'm a nicer person. I'm a calmer person. I'm better all around after I've gotten my creative hours out. Yes, yes.
0: And Abby is a stepmom. Like I'm a stepmom as well. So I have a 14 year old stepson. I call him my bonus son. He,
1: that's what we call Abby. They call Abby their bonus mom. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. Maybe I should get her on to chat about step parenting one day, because that's another whole world. And I'm curious, like, you know, that for her, like navigating that, has that been, like for me, it's been huge growth, stepping into that role. It has stretched me. It has forced me to look at really deep wounds that I didn't want to look at that I buried. So I'm curious, has
1: the same sort of thing happened for Abby as well? I, at some point, I will be able to put my words around this journey of watching Abby learn how to parent these children and watching them learn how to be mothered by Abby and how I have come to believe that step parenting is the most holy love I've ever seen. I will not qualify it with any buts. Like truly the, the amount of self, God, how do I explain it? It's so unselfish. It's so, you know, walking into kids, kids who the other parents caused all their issues. Right? Like, like Abby didn't even get to cause their issues that she's undoing. Right. Like I did it. Craig did it. Like the, you know, children who have gone through a divorce, children who are, you know, reticent to open up their arms in the beginning, children who make her earn the love, children she didn't give birth to, children she didn't, you know, spend every day bond, learning to bond with in the beginning. Like, step-parents who come in and love children. Because what when we say love, what is what is love? Love is showing up after the kid has rejected you 60 times, right? Love is like, you know, working your ass off day in and day out, and then not getting even getting your name on the permission slip. Like love is like just doing twice the work and twice the heart work, and having nobody look at you or say your name as one of the parents. Like it's truly, I true, I am a person who, you know, I love my children. I love mothering. I love. I have never seen more awe-inspiring, impressive, holy love than step-parenting. I'm blown away by it. I know. I'm getting so
0: emotional even just hearing you say all of that because it is, it is so, like my husband says, it takes a Mother Teresa type soul to be a step-parent. And he's like, honey, you put your hand up for that. Like you can handle it and this is part of your journey. And I have actually a lot of people and I'm sure Abby does too. I have a lot of people reach out to me and they say, you know, I'm a step parent and I really need some advice. And I'm like, and they're like, can you write a book on it? And I'm like, I'm still trying to figure it all out. Like it's not book time yet. Like I've been in it for seven years, but I'm like, I'm still like, I've still got my training wheels on and I have, I'm floundering. So people keep saying to me, write a book, write a book, write a book on conscious step parenting. And I'm like, just give me a second because I'm still drowning over here but it is so you know one thing I do say to them is I say it takes a very very big-hearted soul to step into that role and if you're in it it means you can handle it and you are capable of it and to embrace it and to dive in but when I was looking at the statistics because my second book is all about relationships and when I was looking at the statistics you know half of all marriages end in divorce and then 70% of all second marriages end in divorce and And I was like 70%, and mainly because of when children are involved, because it's challenging. And so maybe I need to do an episode and just get on a million step parents and I just interview and we just all chat about what it's like being a stepmom
1: and share what we've learned. And the rest of the world needs to catch up with like one of the things that I feel like would make it easier for step parents is if we freaking celebrated step parents more. Like we have no beautiful narratives. I have so many beautiful narratives in my own life of stepmothers and stepfathers, by the way. Like, where are they in the media? I just think that one, if we just had more people talking about how hard it is, yes, but like also how freaking beautiful it is and the kind of warriors that it takes to do it, if it were more celebrated, people would feel more inspired inside of that. Because mothers, I mean... Biological mothers, could we celebrate them anymore? I mean, all we do is celebrate biological mothers, right? So there just needs to be sort of more narratives about the specificities and challenges and not just the negatives, but like, because there are so many, there's, there's so many tr- tricky, 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 tricky. But what I'm saying is I just see so much gorgeousness in it, so much gorgeousness in it. Because of the selfless nature of it. And anyway, I'm just, I bow down to you and to Abby. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a big role,
0: but thank you for that. Just wanted to hear your perspective on that. I would love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides your books, let's pretend they're already in the curriculum because they absolutely should be. What is one other book that you would choose? One?
1: Oh my God. I mean, okay, what age? Yeah, like high school. Okay. Okay ones that high schoolers would understand too. I mean, certainly right now, if we were in our country, it would be a book about race. If it were for high schoolers, I feel like my friend Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here would be a good one because it is it has so much depth and beauty, but it's also, I can understand it easily. So I feel like that might be a good one for for high schoolers. Yeah, I mean anything that I put into college a college class, I mean they all need to be reading stamps from the beginning, they need to be reading how to be anti-racist. I would just I'm hoping finally that this is an actual conversation that school systems are having now. <laughs> and that our my son just went to the bookstore the other day to collect books to petition his high school county to start requiring books by, you know, black women and men, by indigenous women and men, by Latinx women and men. So it's just way by disabled people. Like we just need to really widen. When I look at my kids' reading list, I'm like, are you freaking kidding? I feel like we're a hundred years ago. It's like 10 white men, 10 white men. And then we wonder why the perspective of the kids isn't, you know, changing faster. It's because we're controlling their perspective by what we're telling them to read. It's so narrow. So I'm excited that, and and I mean, we need more queer representation and all these kids who are sitting, we know the percentages of how many of them are queer. It's a lot, but none of them are seeing themselves reflected in these books, which leads to their isolation, which leads to depression and all of those things. So I love that you asked that question and I feel like changing Completely and diversifying our kids' reading lists is a real thing that we can do to change the world. I
0: totally agree. I totally agree. And I hope anyone who is in the schooling system listening to this, you know, that's something that they can definitely do. I totally agree. We've got to have everything, we've got to have this broad spectrum. And that's where it starts because that's where they get their education. So I totally agree. And
1: fiction, too. Like I give you a nonfiction book because that's what first comes. But, you know, fiction changes people's hearts faster than nonfiction. So like I would put Jacqueline Woodson's book, uh, books. I would put them in every mandatory reading in every, you know, there's so many good YA writers now who are changing, exposing little hearts and brains so that they become more compassionate, wide, empathetic, which is the kind of leadership we need. We need to be creating those kinds of minds and hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What's something that you're working on within yourself at the moment? Oh God,
1: what am I not working on? I mean, I guess that my main relationship goal is to become a little bit less controlling. I just always thought I was a good leader, Melissa. I called myself, I just, <laughs> the way I operated, I just thought I had good leadership qualities. But it turns out that I really have realized how freaking annoyingly controlling I am. That I just decided being a mother or being a human is about deciding what is best for everyone and then making sure they got that thing that you decided was best for them. <laughs> it's just so part of my untaming because, you know, I wanted to be someone who was honored, have her own knowing, her own ideas, her own self. So the terrible part of that is that you have to let other people have their own knowing and their own selves and their own dreams and plans. And those people are often your children and your partners. So that is what I am, I am learning how to love without control, which is real tricky. Yeah. Can you write a book on that next? <laughs> I like you and step parenting. I'm too much in it. I know maybe like one thing about it, right? It would be a very short book, but maybe maybe in a few years. (laughs) I love it. Do you have any plans to write anymore? No. I don't know if I'll write another book. I, I feel, I mean, maybe things will change, but The Untamed is the book that I was made to write. It's like everything that I've ever wanted and needed to say. I wouldn't write another book unless I had in me something as important to say as Untamed. I feel real. I feel like a book is a sacred contract between a writer and a reader. And I won't, I don't write a book until I'm a new, I don't write a new book until I'm a new woman. So if I go through some kind of another transformation or something that's that important, I'll put it out again. But if I don't, I won't.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And I want everyone to go and grab Untamed. It's so good. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are
1: you ready? Oh, okay. Yes. These make me sweaty, but I'll do my best. Okay. What's
0: one thing that we can do today for our health? Mm, Sleep. Yes. What is one thing we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all
1: areas of our life. I mean, for me, I would just try to stop thinking that like, I'm going to be a happier person if I just keep buying like the next pair of jeans, the next necklace, the next whatever. Like if I could just once and for all realize (laughs) that I am not one click away from being a different human being, (laughs) that would be freaking great, Melissa. I am still not there. I I can tell you this with these words. And when we get off this podcast, I will see something online and be like, that's it. That's the thing I need. (laughs) If I could stop that. I would be wealthier. I'll just tell you that.
0: I love that. I love it. It's hilarious. And what is one thing we can
1: do for more love in our life? I think if we just really, truly sit with ourselves, you know, if we really sit with ourselves, if we really start trusting ourselves, trusting our feelings, trusting our emotions, being compassionate with ourselves, all of the people that I know who are good to the world and who love well are are people who are good to themselves. And love themselves. So, or just get a dog. (laughs) If self love is too hard, get a dog. I do that too.
0: I love it. I love it. Glennon, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to ask you? Because I could literally have a 15-hour podcast with you.
1: I know. I know. No. I mean, I would just tell all of you to, for sure, read Untamed. Come visit me on Instagram. But also go to Together Rising at Instagram. Together Rising is the all-women-led nonprofit that my sister and I founded and that we run. And we have, over the last decade, raised $27 million. And every penny of that has gone to women and children in need in our country and all over the world. And so that is really my passion and my life love and the honor of my life. And it's just a beautiful community of people taking care of each other in the world. So come visit us at Together Rising also, is what I would say.
0: Beautiful. And we'll link to everything in the show notes so people can get your book. They can go to Together Rising. They'll have your Instagram, everything. So thank you. And my final question, I'm a big believer in service. You serve so many people. You give so much. You show up unapologetically yourself and you help so many people with all the work that you do, the speaking, the books, Together Rising.
1: How can we give back to you? How can we serve you today? Oh, my God. That's so beautiful. First of all, you listened to this whole thing if you made it this far. So thank you. That is a great service. I don't know. Just come visit me. Just come join our community at Instagram. I live there. It's my favorite place. I don't do other social media well. I'm terrible at Twitter. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on there. But my social media family on IG is really my extended family are they've been with me for a decade they help me get sober they help me raise my babies they have helped joined me to heal the world we meet all over the country and world in churches and in they're my people so just come join us there you know i don't know i just think being together in community and right now it has to be online so we can do it there
0: Yes. And maybe you can tell Glennon and I on Instagram stories, what you got out of this episode, maybe some key takeaways, top three key takeaways, tag us both. I would love to read what you got out of this episode with the incredible Glennon Doyle. Glennon, you are a goddess. You are a trailblazer. You are such a beautiful, big-hearted, wise woman. I'm so grateful, not only for all the incredible work that you do in the world, but for you taking the time to chat with us today. I love you. I love your work. And it's been an absolute honor to have you here. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. You too. And good luck with that step-parenting. I'm telling you, all the respect and love to you. Thank you, my love. Bye-bye.
0: I loved this conversation. I had a ball recording it and I hope you got so much out of it. If you did, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week. So don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tag Glennon and I and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I cannot wait to hear what you guys got from this show. I'm so excited. So please come and share them on Instagram stories. I will reshare them and I know Glennon is going to love seeing them as well. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash three two one and before i go i just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you you rock and remember we can do hard things And if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, or email it to them, or even text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.